Thanks for joining us on the King Law Podcast, where we give you a lawyer's perspective on anything legal. Or not. From criminal law, personal injury, and trending legal topics, we're your back pocket legal guide. Here we are, uh, the one we've been waiting for, our, our good buddy, my good friend, Mike Stagg, probably the lawyer I've talked to the most in the last uh, 12 months. Uh, in my opinion, one of the very top environmental lawyers in the United States and somebody that I think we are super fortunate to be teamed up with on a whole bunch of cases. Um, we're representing firefighters together who have cancer, but today we're talking about municipalities. We're representing, um, Mike's representing municipalities all over the United States and we're lucky enough to be um, helping them here in New York. And we have a number of um, municipalities all over the state of New York and I think more kind of signing on all the time. So, uh, Mike Stagg. Hey, yes. Bob. <laughs> Welcome back. Hey, thanks for that. I mean, <laughs> I feel lucky to be teamed up with you guys. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I think you guys are, you're doing great work up there in New York and, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to partner with you. It's always fun working with good lawyers, you know, trial lawyers, you know what they're doing, which, you know, you definitely fit into that category. So, um, we're kind of kindred spirits in that regard, I think. Yeah, not bad for the country lawyers. Not, you know, <laughs> poor, poor country lawyers, we like to say. Yeah, yeah. So they, what was, um, those country lawyers, down here, they like to say, you know, you know, the, the ones from the city, the tall building lawyers, you know? Oh, that's tall good. Tall yes. uh, White shoes. The, the, those lawyers with white shoes. <laughs> uh, so we, I want to cover kind of from the perspective of municipality and you're on the executive committee for the MDL. So I want to just explain a little bit to, to the people what's an MDL and why is it important that you're on the executive committee? I, I know that that's really important to our clients and their potential outcome, but you know, what's that, what's that look like? Yeah, sure. Um, MDL stands for multi-district litigation. Um, it's a way for the courts, specifically federal courts to consolidate a lot of uh, cases all together. So what happens is that, you know, cases related to PFAS, the, the chemical that's at issue in this, in this case, we're going to talk about are filed all over the country and um, the federal judges decide, well, look, there's, you know, we've got a thousand judges on these cases. We need to organize this in a way that we can have one judge make consistent decisions, manage the case for all, of the litigants, um, it benefits the ju judiciary. I mean, you, you have economies of scale there. Uh, it benefits defendants because they can get to defend the case in one place, and it benefits the the plaintiffs as well because they can, you know, uh, prosecute their case in one place. And 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 the judge is primarily charged with managing the case through discovery, and then they'll try to set uh, make some some key rulings that would apply to everyone and then set some bellwethers in the hopes that maybe they can broker some kind of national settlement. And if they can't, then they have an option of remanding them back to courts of original jurisdiction for trial. So that's, that's the MDL process in, in, you know, in a nutshell. And, and then you're right in the middle of that. I know you said you're traveling. This MDL is out of Charleston, South Carolina, and you're traveling there periodically as recently as yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. The way, the way this works is um, I was appointed by the judge to the executive committee, along with other lawyers. Um, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to be involved in this case was that I, I do a lot of environmental litigation. I've litigated a lot of uh, big environmental cases, both 
uh, you know, surface and for groundwater. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, I've been doing that a lot most of my career. So I understand uh, that type of litigation. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get involved in this and, 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 and was appointed, I think, to to uh, to the executive committee. Um, and the way you well, the way it works is you have a team of lawyers who work together and collaborate and you set up committees and folks focus on on this issue and folks focus on that issue. And you try to, uh, you know, work the case, uh, you know, as far as discovery goes. Um, gathering documents, taking depositions, preparing cases for trial. In this case in particular, that's called the AFFF MDL. Uh, that stands for aqueous film forming foam, which is a scientific term for firefighting foam. And um, it relates to a lot of PFAS issues because firefighting foam is one of the biggest ways that PFAS got all over, you know, the United States of America. And so, um, you know, we've been working hard, you know, um, millions of documents exchanged, changed, uh, 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 hundreds of depositions taken. As I said, we prepared the first bellwether uh, for trial in June of this year. It never went to trial because DuPont and 3M uh, agreed to, to, to a settlement, a class-wide settlement in this case, to try to resolve all the issues related to water claims, which are public water providers and the costs associated with having to filter and clean water in response to the regulations on PFAS chemicals. Okay, well, let's lead into that. What is PFAS chemicals? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, PFAS is uh, a group of chemicals. Um, when I say PFAS, I'm, it's P PFAS. And that that's there are two broad classes of chemicals that fall into that. It's PFOS, PFOS, and PFAS, PFAS. Um, one was primarily made by DuPont, the other by 3M. And uh, those are chemicals that are known carcinogens. Uh, the EPA is coming out with uh, regulations concerning drinking water standards um, this year, at the end of this year. And once those come out, na nationwide water providers, public water providers are going to need to uh, test for those chemicals. And if they're above the, the uh, contaminant level that the EPA sets, the regulatory level, then they're gonna have to filter the water out and remove those chemicals below that standard. And that can be a pretty expensive proposition. The EPA standards are much lower than a lot of the state standards. So even states that started regulating this years ago, like Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, uh, they're gonna actually have to uh, deliver water that's even less contaminated than the state standards. And sometimes that means uh, adding additional filtration and, and it's expensive. The filtration you know, it can cost millions of dollars to add this process to a plant. Um, and there's ongoing maintenance costs associated with it. Well, let's talk about how do the PFAS, what are they used for and how, do the, how does it get in the water? Yeah, um, these are really useful chemicals. They're, they're, they're fluorinated chemicals. It's a man-made chemical, doesn't occur in nature. And uh, chemically, what they do is they bond the carbon with the fluorine molecule and it forms a very strong bond. Um, they're called C8 chemicals because you have eight of those on the carbon chain. And... They're used for, you know, a lot of applications are very useful products. Uh, 
they don't break down in the environment and they're water resistant. And so they're used in the context of uh, lubrication for machinery. It's used for uh, coating nonstick cookware, also food packaging, um, which I think is crazy putting it in food packaging, um, but it but it is being used there. Um, it's also used in uh, for for furniture manufacturing and and carpets to uh, give it stain resistance. Um, it's used in uh, firefighting foam, which we talked about already. Um, it's very useful in that because it smothers fires. Use it usually for fuel fires. Um, it's used a lot at military bases. It's used a lot at, uh, at, at uh, airports. In fact, airports were mandated for a long time to, to have this foam and use it. Um, fuel fires are one of the applications for that. Refineries, uh, it's been used in fracking. There's lots of different ways that these chemicals are used and in products. And what happens is, by and large, and the biggest sites are, are generally places that had airports, military sites and airports. And when they train with this foam and spray it everywhere, it contaminates the surface. And then over time, it migrates through the surface into groundwater or on, into surface water. And it, it, uh, it, and it makes its way into your drinking water supply. Because it doesn't break down. And it never goes away. It's it once it's it, well, Yeah. It, you know, some of the half-life on the, on these chemicals are, you know, known to be about a thousand years. Right. Which we won't so, be there. So yeah. for our purposes, it's forever. <laughs> yeah. And some people don't know. Uh, well, I mean, I say some people, this, you know, the scientific community still doesn't know for some of these chemicals what, what the half-life is. Um, you know, so it's just a big question mark. Well, even uh, that, how do they different. really know what the half-life of a thousand years, we, we haven't been around for, these products have been around for 50 years, so we're estimating the half-life at a thousand years, more or less. I, yeah, these, are, these are estimates based on what we know, right? Um, well, it's know, crazy, uh, though, because if it's everywhere and it's getting into the water and we're constantly exposed to it, what is it doing to our bodies? I, I think that's a perfect transition into the illnesses and injuries we're talking about originally we're talking about firefighters but now mm -hmm. people who are exposed to drinking water and why the water really needs i mean i think everybody can agree we should have as clean of drinking water and water that we bathe in or use for water all sorts of make you sick but but there is really good science maybe you can talk a little about the science of the illnesses and injuries associated with pfas um a little bit mike yeah sure um there are um there's been a lot of studies and there's studies coming out at literally every week, every, you know, nearly every day about these chemicals they are being studied worldwide. Um, and, but the, one of the primary studies that we've been focused on, and it's, it's about 10 years old, it's called the C8 panel study or the, the, the leech injury study. And it actually was a study that came out of a lawsuit. Um, it, was a, it was a West Virginia case where, um, you know, people were exposed uh, at, a, at, a, uh, at a plant facility that was producing these chemicals. Um, it got into the environment and their drinking water. You know, cows were dying and there were birth defects in the farmer's cows. And, you know, uh, after a lot, a lot of litigation and the EPA finally getting involved um, and understanding how serious this was, um, you know, there was a settlement that uh, created a, a scientific panel 
to monitor and study the population to make a determination of what's the incidence of diseases. And this is the case, this is commonly called the leech case, right? Right. It's also called the leech case. The C- C- yeah. So the we'll C- link, we'll link a few, uh, we'll link a few of these studies. If people want to do more of their own research, a couple of the studies and, and the leech case has some kind of guidance that I know has been helpful for us. And I'm, I'm sure for you as well. Right. And these, these chemicals, um, you know, there's a lot we don't know, but there's there's a lot we know, and what we know is that it 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 harms your immune system. We know that the um, that Dupont and 3M had been doing a lot of animal studies and worker studies and had decades of knowledge about you know some of the harms associated with these you know uh, you know testing on monkeys and rats and also looking at their their uh, their employees who were handling and using these chemicals. And we're seeing a high incidence of a lot of different cancers and diseases associated with this. And what the Leach C8 panel came up with was they found that there were um, a number of diseases that were associated with exposure to this chemical uh, through people drinking the water. Um, when you, you can test people's blood and actually measure what their, their serum level is in their blood because you know, this chemical, it gets in your body and it's hard to get it out. Your body's not used to processing it. So it stays in your body a long time. So the effects are cumulative and it builds up in your body. And um, so the types of, they found uh, kidney cancer, testicular cancer. Um, those are two of the primary cancers that they found were caused by this. Uh, you have um, preeclampsia, which is, you know, related to high blood pressure during pregnancy and could cause low birth weight and, and you know, moms can die from that. Uh, you also have uh, uh, things like uh, uh, thyroid disease, higher incidence of that, uh, elevated cholesterol and ulcerative colitis, which is a digestive issue. So those were the primary diseases they identified with that. But there's been a lot more studies since then. You know, the EPA is recognizing that liver cancer is caused by it. There's studies related to prostate cancer, um, you know, other types of cancers beyond that and other diseases. And I think the more it's studied, the more we're going to find out about it. Kind of like dioxin in my mind. Yeah. yeah and, and we see this in a lot of cases. I know in our Camp Lejeune cases, there's the group of illnesses that no one disagrees come from TCE. And then there's 20 more that probably come from toxic exposure. And I think as it's really one of the benefits to lawsuits is a lot of money goes into research and, and we study very carefully what the research says and how it affects people at large. So where we were when the Leach case was originally brought by a bunch of other lawyers, they didn't know everything that is known today. And then I don't think PFAS litigation going anywhere. Yeah, no, I, I I think we're, you know, still at the beginning of this and learning what we're, you know, I think there's a lot to be to learn about this. Um, and yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. You know, the lawsuits help focus folks on on these issues. And if it wasn't for the lawsuits. I don't think, you know, well, the EPA may have gotten around to it, but it really forced the EPA's hand because those lawyers kept bringing to the EPA uh, concerns about what they were finding out through the litigation. Cause in litigation, sometimes you get, you know, you get documents about what are these chemical companies learning about these chemicals? You know, what do they know that they're not sharing with the regulators and with the public? And that's, that's really what helps, um, you know, you know, these, these, these things to really come to light 
is litigation sometimes uncovering those facts, you know, that evidence. Yeah, I just wonder how many Americans have been exposed to PFAS. I, you know, they say that almost everyone in our country has some level of PFAS in our blood. Right, and it stays in your system, essentially. It's essentially, it stays in your system. There's a half-life to it. It's not a thousand years. It's it's more like five or six. Your body will process it out. Um, there are also things that can reduce that. Like if you give, if you donate a lot of blood, that can actually reduce your blood serum levels, things like that. But then aren't you just giving it to someone else or do they clean it? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, like, you know, chelation where you're, you're taking the blood and yeah, you're, you're almost like exporting it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's, you know, that's, there's, there's a lot that, that goes into it. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you measure your blood today, that may not be your highest exposure. Your highest exposure may have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, and they're especially, still used today, these chemicals, right? Yeah, they're used, you know, yes, they're, they, they are used today. The, um, the, uh, a lot of these chemicals are being phased out, like mm-hmm. they're not being used in firefighting foam anymore. You know, they were, they were, they were phased out, you know, about, you know, more than a decade ago. Um, but their effects are still around. Right. And they're in so many products. Like, I think I told you in our last video that I went um, to a grocery store and I was, I got a pre-packaged meal and I went to go grab a plate and it said like PFOS free. And I was like, what? It's in the plates? Yeah. That's <laughs> like, good to know. Cause you don't know, like some of these, you know, like, I think some of these fast food restaurants, you know, have been coating their cardboard containers with, you know, PFOS chemicals to to keep the grease from soaking through that kind of thing. Right. And like, what do they know? They probably, they don't know. Well, I mean, they, they've, they've been put on notice and there's pledges to phase yeah. out that, that type of stuff. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's, some of these chemicals are still being used in food wrappings and food storage things. Fortunately, there's more awareness about it, in part because of the lawsuits, yeah. um, and that's 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 having an impact, you know. Well, it kind of leads me to my next question: of who can file a lawsuit? Who qualifies? Uh, yeah, I mean, in this case, we're primarily focused on uh, water claims, property claims, and serious personal injury claims. Um, the water claims are, you know, public water providers primarily, and that's the cost of getting, you know, recouping their costs associated with having to, to filter the water. Mm-hmm. So you're talking yeah. about towns and cities, right? Towns, cities, water utilities, you know, those types of public entities. We, you know, we have a lot of those making claims. And those are the ones that are in the first settlement that we have with with 3M and DuPont. It's a settlement of like, you know, about 13 plus billion dollars. Um, and it is for public water providers who have any level of PFOS in their source water, not not after it's filtered in the source and um, and, you know, are of a certain size and have to report um, to the EPA or regulated by the EPA. So. Um, if you qualify, you will get money in that settlement if you have PFOS. The way they allocate the money is looking at the um, the flow rates and the level of PFOS 
The idea being that we want to allocate what a flow rate is. Yeah, so this is why, yeah. this is why yeah. Mike and I talk all the time. So so Mike's in New Orleans mm -hmm. from Colorado and he's covering the whole United States and we're in New York and we have all these municipalities that we represent and we go out and go to the water plants. I always send Mike photos of in the water plant. Here's the next water plant and uh, we go and figure out how they're filtering the water and there's all kinds of different water plants are all different. They're all designed one at a time and some of them are easier than others to get PFAS out of the water. Some have more PFAS, some have less, but we're representing all these municipalities who have at least some. And then we're talking about how much water they produce. Mike's gonna, he can give you the definitions here in a second, but how much water they produce and how contaminated the water is. And then right. that, that together makes a municipality eligible if they have a positive test, even a very small positive test, they're, going to, they're entitled to money as part of this class, as part of the case that Mike's on the executive okay. committee for. So right. we're looking at how much water you make and how contaminated is the water. And that's not always that easy to tell, right? So there's been, even in New York, we have the most aggressive environmental rules of any state, I believe, in, in the entire United States. Even here, you, you only have, depending on the size of the municipality, you may only have to test every 18 months, one time, once a year, maybe even the biggest water providers once a quarter. So, so. The, but you do have to test for PFAS. You've had to test here for about five years. Um, and that's that's not the case in other states throughout the United States. Um, and Mike listed off several of the states, Michigan, um, Indiana, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Colorado, California, I think are some of the big ones that, that yeah. require testing. So there's more information out there, but we're going back to the people who have positive tests and we're trying to figure out through the use of some of the experts um, that we have, are these tests accurate? And, and so we represent a lot of people here on Lake Ontario, Great mm -hmm. Lakes, and the tests are different. Well, they're drawing from the same water source. So we know we, we have an idea. Um, okay, so that's it, interesting. So. Yeah, and, and sometimes it requires another test, but uh, go ahead, Mike, on the flow. So the flow rate is really how much water is being produced, right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Bob. I mean, it's like what 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 they're trying to do is fairly allocate the money, and what they want to do is allocate it based on how bad is your PFAS PFAS contamination, and how big is your water system. You know, because you know the bigger the water system, the more water you're filtering, the the greater your maintenance costs, the the more expensive your infrastructure might be to build that that filtration. So those are the two data points, and they measure your size of your system based on your flow rate and PFAS needs to be measured uh, at the source of the water, not after it's been processed, you know, before it's been processed. And it needs to be a very sensitive test. It's um, EPA standard UCMR5. Uh, some folks are testing pursuant to prior testing protocols and there wasn't enough sensitivity all right, the, the EPA regulations are coming out are like four parts per trillion, which is a really, really small amount. And some of the, the older tests and some of those labs were not able to test or detect at that level. So, you know, some of those older tests, they might take a, take a test and they'll get a non-detect. Well, it's, it's not necessarily saying that they don't have any PFOS. It may just be that their, their testing level doesn't get down to that four parts per trillion or below. Is yeah, there so, a legal... And we see the, the other one I want to mention, Mike, is we see less than two parts per trillion. And that's almost saying it, it actually is. We know there's some there, but our lab is not able to test 
to that. And that I, I think that qualifies these municipalities because they, they do have an indication of PFAS in their water. And then we can go back to another lab and retest the water and get them a number and, and submit a claim. Well, that's them. my question. Is, is there a amount of PFAS that's needed to be detected to file a claim? Or is it just any indication of PFAS in the water? Yeah, well, you can get your testing costs back no matter whether you test any or not. So okay. there's a way to get testing costs back. Um, Cause you wouldn't have to test for this if these chemical companies hadn't have put it in your water, right? <laughs> and so um, you can get that certainly. If you have some level of detectable PFAS in your water, then I think you will get money as well, um, provided that you're a public water provider that qualifies. Um, you know, the, the more PFAS detected, the more money you're gonna get, obviously, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, any amount of PFAS will get you money, even if it's below that four parts per trillion EPA standard, you can get money. And it's also important to uh, participate to get your baseline testing in because the settlement also creates a supplemental fund for the future. So if you're a water provider and let's say, you know, so let's say you have groundwater and you have multiple wells and you have four wells, two of them no detectable amounts of PFAS, two of them have 10 parts per trillion. And so for those two water well water wells, th th those two sources, you should get money out of the settlement to deal with the filtration and contamination of those sources. The other two, you need to do what's called baseline testing and submit that testing so that if something changes with those wells, so like if 10 years from now, those wells suddenly go to 10 parts per trillion and you have a problem and you got to build filtration or, you know, you lose a water source, you can get money to compensate you for that. So there's money for today and there's money for tomorrow. Testing and the type of testing you do is critical to figuring that out. Do you think there will be or is there a law that will come out that requires testing for PFAS? Yeah, that's part of what's going to the EPA law is, you know, what, what's the, the regulations, I should say, are coming out related to that. Um, and they're going to require municipalities test for it, that they report it and then that they address it if it's above a certain level and get it down below that level. And, uh, you know, the EPA is going to require that nationwide. There is a grace period to get to get that done and to make that happen, obviously, because there's going to be so many water uh you know providers that are impacted but yeah that's definitely something the epa is is doing so do you think that if this lawsuit had never gotten started that that would never have happened i think you know it's been accumulation you know of all these lawsuits i think you know that the the, the lawsuits certainly made it happen sooner i think if it hadn't have been pushed through litigation i well let's put it this way the epa was not looking at these chemicals at all until that lawsuit they kind of were just um you know not being pushed to look at them and the uh the chemical companies were you know not asking for regulation obviously and they weren't telling the epa what they knew and so if the lawsuits hadn't have started it wouldn't have really pushed this along and i think that's also drove the science you know, you have these initial studies, you have these lawsuits, it gets publicized, the scientific community starts getting interested in it. Um, it also starts to become a worldwide issue. I mean, you've got folks in, you know, 
Australia, Europe, all over the place, scientists worldwide who are looking at these chemicals because they are worldwide. And so uh, there's a lot of new data that is continuing to come out and regulations are, are uh, you know, I think the, the beginning of trying to make sure that people aren't exposed unnecessarily to these chemicals. Right. I mean, I learned a lot just now. So well, keep talking. <laughs> keep talking. I, I've been grilling Mike for a year and a half about this stuff. So uh, <laughs> no, it's, look, it's it's a big case. I mean, I I, I mean, it's it's really, um, you know, I mean, I think it's important. Uh, and and these chemicals are really dangerous. I mean, we we need. To, you know, I'm 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 glad the EPA is is coming out with this. Um, you know, I think it's important that people know what's in their water. And they can protect themselves, you know. Yeah, I want to talk. You know, I'm I'm really interested in in lawyers and kind of their stories and how we get to these moments in time. And I think one of the, if you take a step back, one of the interesting things is there's there's criminal lawyers and there's contract lawyers. There haven't really been a whole bunch of PFAS lawyers, right? So this this litigation is kind of new. And I know the Leach case was was there. And um, but the guys you're working with, they've worked on drug cases um, the, the other guys on the executive committee they've done um, different types of cases so maybe just a little bit of your background in environmental and how how you got here because I think I, I think Mike has a really great um, story that makes it super relevant to this case and and can you can do a lot of good for these municipalities because of your background um, and what yeah. you did before, what you did before you did PFAS, because no one really, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know anyone who's been devoted their career to being a PFAS lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, before I ever heard of PFAS, I was, you know, I mean, going back to the 90s, I was like doing, you know, a, uh, I started doing a lot of oil field cases. And, you know, because we're in Louisiana, there's a lot of very old oil fields, some of the first oil fields. Uh, were in this state. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of litigation with oil companies. And I got involved with these cases related to uh, radioactive materials in the oil field, because uh, through the oil and gas, you know, exploration and production process, uh, radium-226 uh, gets into the equipment and is brought to the surface and can contaminate and pollute, uh, you know, property. And so I got involved with those those cases early on in my career. And it's groundwater as well. There's a groundwater component to those cases too. There is a groundwater component to that. You know, what ends up happening is stuff gets on the surface and then it works its way into the groundwater. And then also you have issues with wells losing integrity and 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 contaminants getting through the 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 well underground into aquifers. And so, yeah, you deal with surface issues and you deal with groundwater issues. And, you know, I've been doing that for a long, long time. And, and you had you some know, remarkable outcomes. I, I don't want to cut to the chase. right? I mean, this is supposed to be about PFAS and all that, but people should know you, you've had some incredible um, verdicts in your career that are, I think, really relevant to aggressively representing your clients today. You, you have a proven track record that you're going to fight for people if they need to be fought for. And you don't always get it from your, you know, personality, easygoing, smile, happy, but but Mike's done some really right. great work, aggressive litigation in his career. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, 
walk softly and carry a big stick, right? I mean, we, you know, I had I had a big case where I represented a a, a judge, a, a, a state court judge, and his family, and uh, they had a big environmental problem on their on their property. They had leased it to a company that did work with the oil companies, and uh, it was contaminated with radioactive material. Uh, it was against Exxon primarily. Um, we went to trial against them. And we got a $1 billion, $56 million verdict. So that was like the groundbreaking case, you know, environmental case that we did. That led to a lot of other litigation, of course, as you might imagine, and, and also appeals, you know, up to the U.S. Supreme Court, Court twice and back down. And ultimately, uh, it was reduced um, to about $200 million uh, because the punitive damages were about 20 times the uh the compensatory damages which you know exceeded the amount uh that that basically the courts were uh, would allow and so that, that it got reduced substantially uh, but we were able to compensate our client and clean up the property which i think is important you know actually you know implement a cleanup plan clean it up and uh you know that set me on a track where i was just doing a lot of environmental cases i've i've done refinery cases i've done plant explosions i've done you know big groundwater cases for landowners i've always worked for um you know i i, I don't work for big corporations defending them i always work for the folks who are damaged by the big polluters or industry. That's that's what I've been doing my entire career. And I would just say to the people who are out there to go against an Exxon or to go against one of these big corporations like 3M or Dow or uh, BASF, it's hard for a lawyer, a small law firm, or a, even a mid-sized law firm. They have the best lawyers. They make billions of dollars per quarter and they will litigate really hard. And, and Mike's been able to actually go and get a verdict against uh, you know, what are they, a Fortune 50 company? That's hard to do. And and uh, it's impressive to other lawyers, but it's really, I think it, the reason I think it's worth mentioning is the people who, we introduced Mike to a lot of people in New York and he's from the South and that's always a little weird. Like, hey, we're gonna, there's no one in New York that we can team with. We gotta get some <laughs> guy from the South. And, uh, um, but it's, it's important to us because these are our friends and people that we know, it's our network. And, and they say, well, why do we have to get this guy from New Orleans? Uh, and what's important to me as somebody who's introducing Mike's is he's proven that he will go to court and he will do what he can and yeah, he's very polite and respectful and but when it comes down to it he's going to do a great job for his clients that's nice of you to say I mean I mean polluted water is polluted water you know I mean you know and you know environmental contamination environmental contamination I mean you you, you know it's I, I I litigate all over the country I mean I've done cases in California I've done you know cases in New York. I have a you know a big case ongoing in New York right now with a landfill you know around that Niagara area, and um, you know I, I always collaborate with other lawyers in those areas um, and work with them. And uh, you know I, I I really like what we do, and you know it's interesting that yeah we kind of started out in New Orleans, but uh, we've really expanded our footprint because you know we we have a, a certain skill set that we have and, and, and we're used to doing these things and taking on big companies and um it's what i like to do and and you know we 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 have some success with it so uh yeah you know, i'm happy to be part of this pfos is 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 you know the next big one in my mind it is really i think one of the biggest environmental cases um you know you know that 
that may have ever been filed. I mean, this is this is really big because it's nationwide. It impacts um, every state, and you're going to see um, uh, states settling lawsuits. You're going to see municipalities settling lawsuits. You've got airports that are contaminated. You have uh, fire training centers that are contaminated. Uh, you also have um, wastewater, which is an issue. Um, once the EPA gets done dealing with the drinking water, they're going to look at the wastewater and the fact that most wastewater has PFAS in it and, fil- and they're going to require filtration for that. Those regulations haven't come out, but they're coming. Yeah, that's how I want to kind of wrap it up here at the end, Mike. Just in your crystal ball, you, nobody has their finger on the pulse of this litigation more than you. I mean, you're meeting with the top attorneys uh, yesterday. What if you had a crystal ball and you could tell people these are the issues that are going to be on the forefront for the next six months, year, five years, 10 years? What are the things? What's your prediction? Things that are going to be out there um, in the environmental and in particularly the PFAS um, legal space for the next little while? Yeah, um, we talked a little bit about the 3M and the DuPont settlements and, you know, the, the billions of dollars that they're putting up for water providers. That is not the end of this case. I mean, that is really the beginning of this case. Uh, The other claims that I just mentioned, like wastewater and airports and all those contaminants, those are other claims that are not settled. And those are being filed. They've been filed and continue to be filed. And I recommend that my clients file those uh, claims if they have have those issues, um, because there's statute of limitations issues that can be there and you need to get on file to protect your rights to those claims. And then you have, um, you know, other water uh, claims that are unsettled. You have about 18 other defendants that have not uh, settled this this case yet. And I recommend to my clients that we, we need to file a case in federal court or in state court or wherever we need to file uh, primarily in the MDL would be the, uh, the quickest and and easiest way to get a case on file um, to preserve those claims because you have other money that can come to you beyond these existing settlements. And so let's let's file those claims. There's benefits to filing the claims uh, now as opposed to waiting for another settlement. Um, I always point out to them, look, had you filed before June of this year, you would get more money than what they're gonna pay in this settlement because there are enhancements for those uh, water providers that had a suit on file. There are enhancements for the water providers that were the bellwether picks. Um, There are all kinds of reasons why uh, it's better to be proactive than reactive and get your case on file. And we help our clients do that. So we help them participate in the settlement and we help them uh, gather information so that we can put a a complaint together and file their 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 legal claims in court so that they're preserved and on record um, identifying what their issues are so that they can we can help them get money uh, to deal with them. So if it's a municipality and obviously we're handling the New York stuff, um, municipality or, or another attorney who perhaps represents a municipality who wants to reach out to you, where do they find you, Mike? Um, you know, we, we created a site called cleangroundwater.com, and that has information about the settlements and about the groundwater issues and the MDL. 
that's a great place to look. That will also take you to my website, which is uh, www.staglyuza.com. Lyuza is L-I-U-Z-Z-A, and I'm a stag with one G. Um, but, you know, uh, those sites uh, give you a lot of information about all the cases, our history, what we've been doing. Uh, they explain a lot about the settlement. There's also webinars that you can sign up for. Um, and uh, there's videos uh, talking about the issues. We actually have an expert uh, explaining the testing and the issues with testing on clean water, uh, cleangroundwater.com. Yeah, and, and we'll link all that stuff here uh, below, I guess, is how it works. But uh, I, think the, I think it's important that the people realize, yeah, we're talking a lot about water because there's going to be a timeline here where people have to submit if they're going to be a phase one municipality. And, and that's what we've been working really hard on. But these contaminated sites, um, the outflow, whether it's wastewater or whatever that, it's worth making the phone calls now, even though there's been a lot around groundwater probably that could be why you found us or how you found us. You're getting, there's notices going out, there's all kinds of stuff, but there's there's a lot more to this case than that, I think is, is what I wanted to convey and make sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Bob, as you know, our, our focus has been right now is like, let's let's really work on water clients and making sure that we can get as many, you know, phase one water clients, you know, into the claim, the, the settlement as we can and help them with their claims and help them with, you know, filing other claims uh, because they are going to, they're going to have deadlines. The judge is expected to, he's having a, there's a hearing on December 14th. Um, and it's a, it's a fairness hearing for the settlement. The judge has already preliminarily approved the settlement. I think he's going to give final approval at that hearing and there will be deadlines set for filing claims. And, you know, you might need to do some additional testing to maximize your dollars, you know, uh, you need to, you know, some folks haven't done testing. They need to do the testing or maybe they need to do more testing. So uh, that takes a little bit of time and it takes time going through the process of hiring lawyers and understanding the case. And so all those things need to happen. So it's it's a good idea to start working on that today so that you can be ready, you know, come claim time so that you can maximize your dollars, get as much out of this settlement as you can, and then you know, get a suit on file so that you can maximize what you'll get in the future and also protect yourself for the future. Um, that's really important because it's, you know, you got today and you got tomorrow and you got to, you got to be proactive and plan for all that. And I would it's, say as the lawyer, I'm, I'm meeting with a lot of the municipalities. I know you're meeting with a lot as well, but if there's lawyers out there, municipal lawyers or lawyers who have contacts with municipalities, this is your, your mayor and your board, they're going to have questions and there's going to be a limited amount of time you want to, I can say, give Mike a call. He's he's really helpful, um, and and will team up with you. But then you're going to need. This is not something that you can do overnight. You have to educate the municipality about why this is a good idea for them, and why they're probably the municipal lawyer who they employ to do their contracts is not really the right lawyer um, for this case. And you want to do that now, and it's going to it's going to take some meetings with the municipality in order to be ready. I mean, if you started today, you might be ready by December 14th. So it's, um, yeah, it's really important because I mean, I think, you know, some folks, they hear class action and they think, well, you know, I, I can just fill out the form and they'll send me a check. And, you know, it's not quite that simple. 
in this context. This isn't like a consumer class action, you know, get three dollars and thirty cents from Coca-Cola. <laughs> right. Or a securities thing, you know, we're you know, it 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 it's a little bit a little bit needs more needs to be done. And it's important to look at the data and make sure that you've done everything you can to maximize, you know, your 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 payout in this settlement. Because if you do it wrong, you could you could leave a lot of money on the table. I mean, you could potentially leave millions of dollars on the table, you know, if you don't do it right, um, especially with you know future money, you know. So I I, I mean, I, in some ways, you know, our clients were we're, we're going to represent them for for a long time, uh, you know, making sure that. You know, if things change, we can apply to get additional funds for them. Um, hopefully they don't change, but, you know, you need to make sure that you do it right and protect yourself. And then, you know, make, you know, I always, you know, these issues are out there. Folks are getting class notices. The EPA is coming down with regulations. It's hard to say, I didn't know about this and not, and not do anything, you know, that's the longer that you wait and don't do anything, the bigger your problems might be in the future as far as asserting your legal rights. Yeah, I know there's a story that we can wrap up on this one is you were involved in BP oil spill and, and municipalities in the Gulf and, and some made claims and some didn't. And we talked to these municipalities and some are going to participate and some aren't. That's the bottom line. Some will not participate. And at some point, whether it's the voter or the member of the board is going to look at someone and say, well, why didn't we do this? And the town next door did. And it's going to come and it's going to go. I don't know if that's a. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, you know, BP is an example of that because, uh, you know, as everyone knows, that oil spill impacted the entire Gulf region. Uh, beach communities, you know, they shut down. Restaurants weren't, you know, able to operate. No one was going, you know, their summer was was lost. And so a lot of municipalities uh, lost a lot of revenue because of that tax revenue. And they also had, uh, you know, costs associated with responding to to all the, the, the oil washing up on beaches and all that kind of stuff. And so there were um, claims by municipalities against BP. And some of them, most of them filed claims, but there were some who just, for whatever reason, because the leadership didn't feel like they wanted to make a claim against BP, or they didn't feel like, you know, they weren't, they didn't like lawsuits or all, all these kinds of issues. Um, but, it, but some of them got money. And then, you know, the ones who didn't do anything got nothing. And so they're they're calling saying, well, why didn't we get a check? And it's like, well, we told you you need to file a lawsuit, but you didn't do anything. So um, and they're they're uh, you know, their taxpayers are wondering, well, you know, we lost a bunch of money and our leadership didn't do anything to protect us. And uh, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a company, you know, there's there's business, right? You've got a fiduciary obligation to to protect those, those folks that you represent, you serve. And that's why I think uh, it's important to get involved in this if you're a public official, because you need to make sure that, you know, your rate payers or taxpayers aren't the ones who are footing the bill for something that you had nothing to do with. It's not your fault that these chemicals got made and they ended up in the groundwater. But, you know, if you, if you don't participate, you don't play, you, you're not going to, you're not going to, Right. And then the EPA standards, the EPA standards going to come out and it's going to require testing and it's going to require filtration and you're going to be left to do to do the work. Um, yeah. 
you're going to have to spend the money. So you right. might as well Let's, get some of that back so that you don't have to spend all of it. Spend three M's money. You know, the, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important to do. And I think, I think most communities, you know, leaders understand that. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's, it's something that's, you know, sometimes you get that feedback of, uh, I think it's the first question. We don't want to, you know, and we do it, we do it on a contingency basis. I mean, I'm not, I don't send anybody a, a bill for talking to them or bill by the hour or send them a bill for my cost. That's all our cost of doing business. We get paid if we get, you know, recovery for them. That's the way I've always operated. And so, um, you know, it's not like they're, they're hiring a lawyer and have to pay them a monthly, you know, amount billed to them. It's, it's only if we get results. So. Well, Mike, always a pleasure. Um, looking forward to to all the the good things that you and Merritt and your team. Uh, we should. I think it's worth mentioning. We work with Mike, but we also work with his whole firm, and, and he has a beautiful team over there. Uh, very skilled. Uh, Philip, Nicole, they're really a privilege to work with. I think anyone that you deal with at Mike's office, um, highly skilled and competent, and uh, really a, a good reflection on our profession. Well, that's, that's nice you say, Bob. I mean, I, I, we like working with you guys too. We have a, we, we, we enjoy a good relationship and, um, you know, it's nice working with good lawyers. It makes, makes, makes things easier for everybody. Right. So. Well, we'll, uh, we'll do it again. I think we did our first one, uh, probably six, eight months ago. We had you on and talked about the yeah. firefighters and the personal injury claims. And, uh, I'm we've sure come, we've come a long again. way since then. <laughs> Cool. Can't wait to come back. I always enjoy chatting with you guys. It's fun. All right. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Bye. That concludes this episode of the King Law Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and check out our socials at King Law Attorneys. And if you've happened to have been injured or charged with a crime, now you know who to call. King Law. Take charge.